0: Crises are opportunities. Um, They are always opportunities for big change.
1: Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, welcome to episode 59. Today, we're talking about how to maintain and enhance company culture in the face of change. We're actually going to be throwing it back. We're talking to Dan Voigt, who was our guest on episode one of the podcast. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, definitely recommend going back to check it out. It's not necessarily required pre-listening, but if you want to learn about his company, Blendtec, uh, certainly consider listening to Episode 1. It's a great episode about company culture in general. But today's episode is really about how company culture can evolve in the face of hybrid work models and new collaborative technologies. So, the three things you can expect from today's episode are largely based around three initiatives that Dan and his team at Blendtec put together near the start of the pandemic. We're going to be talking about internal collaboration tools, PLM, ERPs, things that allow his team to work together. Second, we're going to talk about external factors like Cloud solutions that allow him and his team to do work for their clients remotely while having all the support of their organization behind them. And finally, we're going to talk directly about hybrid work models and how they've seen that impact the work culture at Blendtec. So big episode today. If you're enjoying this episode or any other episodes you've listened to before of Manufacturing Happy Hour, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com iTunes. It'll take you straight to that platform platform and those reviews really do give us valuable feedback on what we should be featuring on the show and it also helps get the show in the ears of more potential listeners. So, manufacturinghappyhour.com/itunes but let's not waste any more time on this intro. It's time to get you reintroduced to Dan Voigt. All right. Today we have our first returning guest to the podcast. Dan Voigt is the CEO of Blendtec, a Bay Area-based food technology company specializing in equipment, systems, and software for the safe, nutritious, and consistent preparation of food. Last time Dan was on the show, we talked about what it takes to create a strong culture within a manufacturing company, and today we're taking that a step further, discussing what this looks like when you move to a hybrid work model and how technology plays a part. With that, Dan, welcome back to Manufacturing Happy Hour.
0: Yeah, thanks. I'm uh, excited to be back. Uh, it's great, and and we're doing this one uh, with a hybrid remote model too, because last time we were in in the same room, and here we
1: are walking the walk, Chris. So I think that's that. Cool. That is that's the most meta way you could have put it. And for those of you not watching the video, this is the first ever hotel edition. I'm recording this from my hotel room at. Podcast movement in Nashville, Tennessee. So yes, it couldn't be more appropriate for the way we were do uh, we're doing this today. So yeah. and, and and with any start of an interview, I, I have to ask, you know, Dan, it's been it's just over two years since you were first on the show. I think it was like July twelfth, twenty nineteen, was the date we recorded the first episode, and mm-hmm. we're doing this here at the start of August in twenty twenty one, and. Obviously, a lot has changed during that time, but you're an outdoorsman. You're very active. What have you been doing to stay sane and active over the past couple of years?
0: Well, yeah, staying sane and active for all of us has been, you know, the key to getting through the last couple of years, right? Yeah, I, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten more focused on on trail running uh, in, in the last few years. I, you may recall from before, uh, I spent a lot of time doing CrossFit. I had CrossFit gym, owned it. Um, uh, but, uh, I think in, you know, with the, the remote work that we've been doing over the last few years, I was looking for, uh, reasons to get outside, uh, just be around nature and, uh, you know, reconnect in that way. So lots of trail running, lots of backpacking, um, and, and that's kept me sane, but it's also been a good opportunity to reconnect with family, uh, and, and reconnect with your own personal passion and focus. So, uh. Uh, feeling really good about where I'm going, where our company's going, and finding ways to to make something positive out of a an otherwise hard situation.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I'm a backpacker as well. I haven't done as much of that recently. I've still been getting outdoors. Still been um, certainly doing more running. I finally got Strava during the pandemic to like track my runs. So that's like a little more motivating. Now I've got uh, some insight into my pace. But paddleboarding is my new thing that i added to the arsenal well i now like since since our last interview i moved to milwaukee so Mm -hmm. but now i live three blocks from lake michigan so i've got a nice spot to jump right in and and get on the board now so um but dan i know you and i could talk activities all day long but (laughs) Now that you're back, you know, I want to get we, we, we want to talk technology. We want to talk hybrid work models and how this all goes together. But let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go back to our first episode that we did, uh, because I want to talk about your business first a little bit, because one line that stuck out that I think would be really interesting for our audience is that you said, hey, people got to eat, you know, regardless of what's going on in the world, like people are still going to consume food. But with the pandemic and people buying more groceries and things like that, less restaurants and things along those lines. I'm curious, you know, did you see that change your your business or the demand that was being requested in terms of how people are producing food? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that.
0: Well, first of all, I, I think that um, you know a lot of our industrial systems have been really tested both during the start of the pandemic, in the middle of it, as well as in the wake of it. And I mean, you know, everybody's hearing stories about uh supply chain disruptions and um you know what effects that might have on prices whether or not it's inflation that type of thing i think the food industry came out of what we've been experiencing uh you know with a with a with a with an a plus um the store shelves you know they got low but they never went empty um and you know for the for the most part uh the industry as a whole was able to rise to the challenge and give people what they need, um, and uh, you know, it wasn't without its struggles for everyone, but it was accomplished. But I, I think, from you know, on our business perspective, us specifically, what we saw was the 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 immediate shift of what was about a thirty-year trend. Um, over over the last thirty years, there's been a an incremental and steady march towards uh, food service. So mm-hmm. what do I mean, it's you know. Uh, casual quick dining—it's uh, the chain restaurants, or that uh, that you might go to while you're traveling, or when you're at, when you're at lunch, your lunch break. You might pop down to one of the you know one of the major major chains and say, "Hey, I'm going to have a soup. I'm going to have a sandwich. I'm going to have a taco, a burrito." Uh, and uh, a lot of those folks, uh, in, in the short term, you know, they saw they saw a decline in in an uh, in output. But then the ones that were able to adapt using uh, mobile order. Uh, really tying into the delivery systems, uh, you know, like the the DoorDash type services, Those, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I think then they started to see a rise. Uh, So there are some companies, uh, you know, that sell your outlet where they were selling the the products where they saw a decline and then a rise. There's some that saw a rise and there's some that saw a a decline. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a total reshifting of the dynamic. And, and who's producing and who who isn't there there was a a downturn in production of certain types of foods but for everything that went down something else went up um and so you know all in uh uh, is uh still kicking strong and and producing equipment and 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 servicing the need and uh you know we're we're full up in the shop now and for the foreseeable future so uh, all in that's pretty good
1: well, I know you're an expert in food, and and no doubt you are going to find ways to evolve and continue to serve your customers. And I know you had three initiatives going into all this. We're not going to get to those quite yet. Um, three initiatives that that you had, you know, throughout the pandemic that evolved. But uh, you know, in addition to being one of our food experts, you're also becoming one of our culture experts on the show now that we're here to have another conversation on it because you do such a tremendous job leading and motivating your team at Blendtec. And for for those of you listening, I know a lot of our audience, um, are longtime listeners. Dan was on episode one, so if you haven't listened to that yet, definitely recommend go back and check that out. But I've got a very basic question to really get into the meat of the conversation, and and that's how has your philosophy around culture evolved over the past two years?
0: Well, you know, it's it's highlighted to me the the importance of really building relationships uh, between uh, team members leaders and team members between team members. Uh, yeah, I think it's in you know, is it the Harvard Business Review is kind of calling 2021 and 2022, the great resignation. If you've seen those, those stats where, um, uh, you know, they're saying something like 40% of, of millennials are looking to leave their job um, and move on. And, you know, Blendtec isn't experiencing anywhere near the degree of, of volatility in that market or in that aspect that, that many others in the market are. It's not to say we're experiencing none, but um, everybody has some. Um, What we find here is that uh, people, you know, want to feel fulfilled in their jobs. They want to feel, they want to feel like they belong. They want to feel like they're working towards a purpose that's meaningful. And they want to know that their work uh, has a genuine impact. And uh, you know, the truth is it, it does no matter what your job is, but sometimes in some work environments, uh, leaders can uh, give the impression to an employee that, hey, you're just a number, you're you're expendable. Um, and, and what does that do? I mean, that just uh, demotivates an individual. So uh, you have to work a little harder when you have uh, a remote, hybrid w- remote work environment and be more deliberate about uh, relationship building with folks. And, and if you don't, if you're not able to do that, then you're not going to have that degree of connectivity. You're not going to have that degree of trust uh, that you need to be able to navigate the really hard problems. Um, uh, you know, you're, if you're working asynchronously remotely, you got to just trust that they're going to do it, and that trust, you know, it's not something that comes easy. So I I, I think that's my answer in your question. <laughs>
1: oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. Dan. You're always you're always answering my questions. Like, no, that was that was good. I like that you bring up being more deliberate with your relationships I do have a follow-up question to this and and this is this might be the last time I refer back to our our first interview but one of the most powerful things that jumped out in that conversation was as a leader when it comes to setting culture you need to model the behaviors you want to see in the culture so how do you do that when you're remote oh boy uh, it, it's lots of little things um uh, y- you need to
0: you need to pick up the phone and call people um you need to uh allow a little bit of time for some uh you know actual conversation aside from you know what are we here to do um uh you know and and more recently with the remote hybrid you need to architect opportunities to uh to collaborate sometimes in person sometimes remotely uh and have that have that flexibility and I, i know we'll get into that a little bit a little bit more uh later uh I don't think that, uh, you know, gimmicky games and things to kind of say, let's, let's get on and play one of those online games together. I don't, I don't think that that necessarily works. Uh, but if you're, if you're genuinely asking people how they're doing, you're, you're taking some time to have those one-to-one conversations with people. Um, then, then I believe, uh, that that really strengthens those bonds.
1: Well, I love that you bring up just picking up the phone and calling people because, you know, we have all these cool collaboration tools right now. We're going to talk about them coming up here in a second. There's yeah. no doubt that they add value to it, but uh, I feel like sometimes we miss the basics in that regard. Right. And your earlier answer about relationships really highlights that as well. But, uh, you know, we are getting to the meat of the conversation now and, and I'll kind of kick things off, but I'd love you to to add a bit more color to this. So when you first reached out to me about saying, hey, you know, maybe we should do another episode. You outlined three initiatives that you Mm -hmm. had. And and just to summarize those really quickly, three things that you did with the pandemic, not only internally, but externally is, one, I understand that internally you have a really integrated single source of truth with your ERP and PLM systems that allow internally for you to function well. Mm -hmm. Number two, you expanded your IoT platform, which is called Cooker Cloud, for remote commissioning and things that would make a lot of sense in a social distancing world. Then finally, the third initiative was that you launched a hybrid work model. I'm, I'm curious, the first basic question I have around this is, how did you come up with these initiatives and maybe can you provide a bit more color to each of them before we deep dive into all three? Well, I think to an extent,
0: we had elements of these things already incubating, uh, you know, going into this, meaning we had started aspects of it. I um, the IoT platform. I think we talked a little bit about it last time, um, but that's that's an initiative we started back in, um, oh boy, 2015, 2016. Um, you know, the it's a, it's a patented data co- con- uh, contextualization engine um, mm-hmm. that we were going to build for our our cooker cloud system. And we actually back in 2016 we trademarked the phrase "Stay close even at a distance," which I I think is uh, I don't know frighteningly useful now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, and it was the same with the, the, the cloud-based, um, uh, collaboration software, the internal systems was, you know, looking at where things were headed and looking at what was occurring. It was really a question of saying, Hey, you know, what, what technologies are already developed on the market? Um, what can we move into really, really quickly that we know is going to give us a, a, a permanent advantage as soon as those, um. Uh, you know, as soon as those lockdowns began, you know, the remote hybrid work model, uh, I don't think we were having genuine conversations about that uh, until about one to two quarters into the pandemic effects, because I there really was too much uncertainty. So I'd love to tell you that I had a crystal ball when I, was, when I was I had these three and I did them on March 1st, or sure. 2020. And, <laughs> um, that's just totally not true. Now we did uh, lay down uh, one principle because we weren't able to move everybody to remote, right? You can't, you can't weld remotely. Um, And so there are certain people that had to come in because their job needed to be done on site. So from the beginning, we did have to maintain a hybrid model, but we wrote down a principle more than a policy. And that, and that principle was you're eligible for remote work provided your remoteness, doesn't add an undue burden to anyone else um so if if you being remote increases the workload for somebody else then it it probably isn't a good remote job um but if you're able to find ways to uh deliberately design your work and your activity uh so that you're you know net neutral or net positive then frankly speaking it's a no-brainer um, mm-hmm on the on the initiative one side the, the systems we we had already started our our process of you know building out cloud based collaboration systems with the PLM on salesforce.com right. and uh you know come april 1st 2020 uh you know the leadership and our team got together and we said hey look we don't know when this is going to end um and back then if you remember they were saying two weeks to flatten the curve which is uh that's aged like milk right <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh and uh right so we were looking at that saying really i don't know about that and so we put the pedal to the metal on um implementing the remainder of the plm and uh and 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 expediting the erp portion of it setting a, a six-month timeline instead of a 12 to 24 month timeline to 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 implement it so we we opted to do it in half the time, uh, which I think was the, the bold and wise choice in that case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's focus on initiative number one real fast, because one thing I'd I'd love manufacturing leaders to take away from this episode is, you know, how do I implement these things in my business a little bit? Or, you know, how should I be thinking about about Mm -hmm. these type of things? Because I remember having the PLM conversation with you long before the pandemic started. Like these like you said, these weren't things that just came out of thin air, like come March 2020. A number of these things you had been working on before that. So, you know, maybe let's let's talk about how, you know, this single source of truth that you have with your PLM platform. I think you use Salesforce for it, yeah, as I understand yeah, it. And that's yeah. that's part of the solution. But what are, what does this do for your team? What are the results people see from having a system like this, maybe in the context of a story or how it functions at Blendtec? Yeah, happy to happy to answer that. So, yeah, it
0: is it's it's on the Salesforce platform. It's actually a software called Propel um, okay. and um and the ERP side is a, is a software called Rootstock. Um, and since they're all Salesforce, if you know it's it's all they're all Salesforce native, um, you could stitch them together in a, in a, in a really good way. Uh, what does it give you? Uh, anyone can access the the, the most up to date information about any critical activity within the company in real time. That's mm-hmm. what that means. You don't have to call somebody to request something. You don't have to go into the office and check it um, to, to know where it's at. Uh, and it gives you the ability to, to build uh, much more, uh, uh, you know, much more productive workflows because you can create uh, triggers and checks around activities mm-hmm. that would otherwise be in different systems. So, you know, for example, you could you could say, well, you know, if, if some invoice isn't received on some period of time or some invoice isn't sent, then you could have something happen on an opportunity somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe if you had a, a customer who wasn't paying and you were about to uh, quote them something new, maybe maybe those systems are connected and say, "Yeah, hey, this this might be a problem." Or maybe you have a you have a service case occurring and uh, you want to let somebody else know that some other object that might be or activity that might be uh, interrelated to that. Um, hey, before you design that thing, uh, you know we're seeing a case over here and they're related. Uh, so we're starting to build up those types of those types of integrations mm-hmm. as, as they arise and integrate the workflow. What, what I what I'm seeing overall is a, um, a kind of a de-departmentalization. You know, that's a kind of a huge word that I just made up. Um, but <laughs> um, you know, rather than saying, um, uh, "Hey, you know, this department is going to transfer it to that department, and then this department's going to do its thing, and then transfer it to this department." Uh, Functional experts are coming together to define the specific activities, um, irrespective of which department they're in, and mm-hmm. it, it's more about how do you reduce the number of steps, and how do you uh, you know it reduce the the error rate and and increase the overall velocity of the company. So I wandered a little away from your from your your central question, but the the immediate benefits that we're seeing. Um, know we've been able to get our engineering output to about uh 300 percent in the last uh quarter to where it was at the start of the year um and so far from a business perspective um what we're seeing is um we're we've been able to offer some lead times to our customers that might be in some cases half of what our 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 competitors are doing um uh, from what we're being told uh you don't always you know, know how accurate that data is, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's a pretty big deal. Um, uh, And and in a time where, you know, lots of folks are saying, oh, man, supply chain is steamrolling me. I can't get I can't get this widget or that widget, so I can't ship. Um, You know, that's not to say that we're immune to that, but um, we're able to collaborate and creatively find solutions to those things like, oh, shoot, you know, this component isn't available. What are some quick cut substitutions, uh, mm-hmm. and we can we can have those collaborations at a moment's notice across the entire platform, uh, and and still get those jobs to flow. Let's uh
1: let's talk adoption with this as well because the one thing that jumps out in my mind because I I, I I I know the power of having a great tech stack like that mm-hmm. and having all these tools that work together. How do you get? your engineering team, your sales team, your team overall in general to start adopting these systems versus just defaulting to email or, you know, jumping on Slack or whatever it is? How do you get them to start really using this so that the power of these collaboration tools come to life? Because if I'm a manufacturing leader, that's probably the question in my mind. It's like, great, now we have all these systems, but how do I, you know, motivate change to get people to start making it a habit? Yeah,
0: the, there are so many different facets to tackling that problem, um, and and a, that there's not a one silver bullet thing mm-hmm. that I can say. Not, but, but I will say as an overall arch, overarching principle, uh, management, leadership, executive leadership can never weaponize the platform. Um, yeah. If you if you weaponize the platform, uh, and, and and use the data for, um, uh, you know kind of controlling people rather than inspiring right. people, mm-hmm. you're going to lose their trust and they're not going to invest in the system. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, inspired by the book power of habit. I don't know if we talked about it last time. I think we did. I'll bring it up again. I think that, you know, if somebody is invested in, in, in Slack or they're invested in email, you know, they're really just caught up in habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's, um, it's about uh creating and sustaining new habits so you have to be consistent with your message you have to be supportive you, you're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to revisit uh implementation seven ten times with people and you're gonna have to have that patience uh it, it, maybe it's a little like starting a new diet it's a mm-hmm. little like starting a new workout plan <laughs> um and to me i know last time before i talked a little bit about the corollaries between running a business and running a gym i i think those are still you know totally salient they're still mm-hmm. on point today um so uh, you know finding and sustaining those habits and making them uh you know making them them stick uh so i guess in practice we're, we're we've been tackling you know one element at a time pulling together cross-functional teams, having creative collaboration sessions, very, very quickly iterating and building the workflows and processes together, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just a continuous push for transference of activity into the single source of truth. It is not, we're not 100% into it on day Mm -hmm. one, nor nor did we intend to be, uh, because there really wasn't any one person in the company who knew how every single thing, worked down to the button click uh, so you you can't you really can't go into it that way um I'm trying to think if there's anything i'm missing on this front but um i think that that pretty much co- oh you know what i there is one more thing i wanted to cover on it and that is that you know when when, when people are in a when the world is in a in a state of, of crisis or 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 turbulence everything that was the habits and patterns that they they're kind of already thrown out Right. True. So, right. So what better time to develop and sustain new habits than in in an otherwise moment of change? I mean, you've already had your world rocked. It's already been mm-hmm. kind of rocked sideways. And uh, so it, it's in those moments where you can step in and say, hey, what was isn't anymore. So let's come together and make a better, you know, a new and better, uh, you know, paradigm that we mm-hmm. can and live within for a period of time. I mean, it's, um, I think it was the the former advisor to, uh, or the advisor to uh, President Barack Obama years ago, Rahm Emanuel said something along the lines of never let a crisis go to waste. Um, uh, So, you know, crises are opportunities. Um, They are always opportunities for big change. And um, I think they're the moment where people can finally say, hey, Zoom meetings work, remote work work, Mm -hmm. New technologies can function uh, because you're in that moment where you need to try something new and it's got to work and everyone's open to it. So if you've already laid some of the groundwork and you move into one of those situations, that's probably the time to tighten up the timeline, do it a little bit quicker because everyone's going to be ready. They're going to be excited. and They're going to benefit from from it.
1: Excellent points. I'm glad you brought that one up at the end because um, I think now we can accredit part of that quote to you. I know you paraphrased it enough to I think we can have Dan as the uh, crises are opportunities quote. So no, I'm glad you brought that back around. But I, also for those listening, Power of Habit is a great book. I mean, I think in general it's at the end of the day, it's habits, right? Like and, and I think you brought up a great point where when there's an issue that's already going to cause a big change in our lives, like that's what a perfect time to develop new habits. So um, I love the detail we got into uh, on your first initiative. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. If you're an equipment manufacturer, distributor, or dealer of industrial equipment, and you're looking to accelerate your profits through online sales, you're going to want to get to know this week's sponsor. Gen Alpha Technologies makes it easier for companies like you to do business through one of the most robust e commerce platforms for the B2B industrial world. Let's be honest, a lot of manufacturers are still looking for ways to increase market share. They want to deliver a better, an exceptional level of customer service, and they are still looking to execute a digital transformation that's powered by e commerce. Gen Alpha can be your partner that helps you accomplish all of these things. What I love about Gen Alpha is that unlike other e-commerce providers, the team over at Gen Alpha has been in your shoes. They've lived and breathed manufacturing and heavy industry. They ask the difficult and necessary questions because they know the questions to ask. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com/genalpha to listen to our interview with their president and COO, Christina Harrington. There, you can find a direct link to their e-commerce readiness assessment. Or you can check them out for yourself at genalpha.com. Gen Alpha understands firsthand the promise that manufacturers have to fulfill when helping their customers keep equipment running. That's why they're not only your software provider, but also your business partner. That's Gen Alpha Technologies. And now, back to today's episode. Let's talk about the second initiative that you have as well, because this one's more external. You evolved your solution offering to your customers. You've had a long, a long-time IoT platform called mm-hmm. Cooker Cloud, and I know that has evolved. and I'd love you to add some more color to that. But, but fill us in on this one and uh, and what it's done for your company as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we started off an, an IoT platform. That, again, we called it the the Cooker Cloud. It's um, it's a framework that it's very secure with a, a, a remote recipe management structure. So you mm-hmm. can you can program how you cook the food on, on your phone and you can push it to a machine. Um, and then the data can be you know stored. It's stored in a in a in a, in a historian. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's I mean, that's neat, but it's not special. I mean, I'll be honest and, you know, you worked in the automation world for a long time. So, you know, that that's not that's not special. Uh, but what is what is special about what we've done is uh, we, we tailored it to the food market, number one. Number two, we built a, a food-focused contextualization engine. Um, so what that means is you can build recipes with a very deliberate structure, and you get automatically created reports that are built for, for how a food business works. Now, we started off thinking, and actually you mentioned Strava, so I'm going to tell you that when I first started thinking about it I had already just gotten into Strava did you know that is that why you mentioned Strava no I didn't actually I just assumed you used it also (laughs) I totally do right but what was what was happening is I had had just gone to a a customer site and I was trying to help them solve a cooking problem and I looked at a graph uh of the of the temperature and um you know because we graphed out the data and we wanted to make sure the food was cooked and then, and then I was go- I went for a run, and I was do- hit the analysis button on my Strava. Um, uh, so I wanted to see, and I saw my heart rate graph, and I saw my speed graph, my elevation mm-hmm. graph, and I thought that looks a lot like a temperature curve. Uh, and then, and then I looked at kind of like how they were able to to have contextualization. Like Strava breaks up your runs into segments. They'll say, "Oh, hey, this you've ran this segment, you know, ten times." um so you know you're faster or slower than you usually are you know what i'm talking about right mm-hmm. All right Yep. so I was, I was thinking man automatic contextualization is automated insights and yeah. so if you can automate insights uh in reality there that's that's really the key that's what people need so um so we built uh, contextualization engines that provided uh a- automated insights and then you know we first mm-hmm. applied it to cookers but we immediately started saying man this applies to we can do some of this on our continuous cooking systems. So, so we got batch cookers and continuous cookers, but we can also use it on mixing systems, cryogenic systems, and vacuum systems. And you know, there, there's a lot changing in the food business. It, it's it's not just this this shift for, you know, who's in the office, who isn't. Restaurants. That's that is one seismic shift that's happening. The other mm-hmm. seismic shift that's happening is, you know, people are are paying attention to. The sustainability or the ecological impact of their foods. In some cases, mm-hmm. they're they're worried about where their proteins come from. You know, you're seeing the the rise of the of the plant based protein world, um, and and you're seeing other new technologies need to be deployed to reduce efficiency. I'm oh, sorry, uh, increase efficiency, re- reduce uh, overhead um, to just lower your global footprint, increase your your profitability or your costs. And we thought, man, we can apply this contextualization engine. Across our whole platform, so we're, we're launching, uh, you know, a modified contextualization engine across the whole platform, and instead of it just being called the Cooker Cloud, we're 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 about to rebrand it as the Artisan Intelligence System or the AI system. We're going to call it artists for short, uh, because the the system, um, you know, provides you that that automatic context, uh, so that at a glance, hey, you know, you're doing better, you're doing mm-hmm. worse. Your, your productivity is going up, it's going down and to be able to drill in and see why without hiring a team of data analysts to uh, parse through your data for months on end and give you a limited, a, a limited insight to what's really going on. Um, so it's tremendous savings. Um, what does it do? It, it reduces your startup timeline. It allows you to incrementally improve uh, the, you know, the, um, the output of your equipment increase your product quality uh, it's just a win all around
1: I one one thing that stuck out was right at the start you mentioned how you tailored it to the food industry because you're right mm. like none of this is anything unique like anyone mm. can do this but you've tailored it to your business how do you recommend other leaders because I'm sure there's some people in the food industry but I'm sure there are people across a bunch of industries listening to this how do you prioritize what you're measuring to make sure you're giving your customers the best information rather than just a data dump.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, one of the interesting problems, I think that, um, the users, the end user of the technology has is that, um, uh, that is the lack of that contextualization. So you, you can take mm-hmm. you know a machine from supplier a, and then you can come and get a historian from supplier B, and you can bolt that um, historian system onto it, and you get a steady stream of data. And that's not useless, but it's not as powerful as contextualized data can be. Um, uh, just because you have this stream of consciousness coming out, and yeah, you know, I mean, I guess you can use machine learning type activities to to try to predict uh, variables that are interacting. And I know that people do that, but you can do better than that. And and it's very simple. Uh, all you really need to do is say you know, as you you find the problem solvers in your business. So you talk to your service team, you talk to your, your applications experts or your usage experts, and you say, what do you do that has a pattern? And you find the patterns in, in the, in the thought processes of your, um, of your problem solvers. Mm -hmm. And so what information do you consistently need? How do you need it served up? Uh, and what do you look for to determine what kind of problem exists? And then you say, "What kind of sensors do I need on there?" And and how would I architect the control system to deliver me those insights? Um, you know, in my case, uh, I spent years flying out to customers with a stopwatch and a temperature probe, because I was all about cooking food. And uh, you know, they they'd say, "Hey, I need to cook more food, Dan." And I'd say, "Great, I'm going to get on an airplane and I'd grab my temperature probe and my stopwatch and then my notebook and i'd go there and i'd start measuring and then i'd mm-hmm. look at the measurements and i'd say i'd circle the ones where there's opportunities and i said we could do something here here and here well if i can do that with a couple basic measurements you can automate it uh um, yeah. you can automate it you can have consistently created you know a steady stream of accurate data And you can take it to the nth degree of complexity uh mm-hmm. however far you want but starting basic doing something that has a general impact. I mean, what do businesses care about? They either want to make more or they want to make more on the product, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. It's increased production. It's lower costs. It's increased safety. It's increased quality. There's not a lot of asks. They're pretty basic. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those don't change too much. And that's what you're doing for your customers with this solution. I'm interested to know, what is, and this is the last question on this initiative before we move to the third one, what has this done for your business? Because I know now you can do more remote commissioning, remote startups, that's yeah. you know a trend across the industry, but how have you seen that impact your business? Um, are you able to do more work this way? Fill yeah. me in on that. Well, I'm,
0: I'm so proud of how that technology came in to benefit our customers and our team. So I'm just super pumped that you're asking me that. Um you know, we we going into this, we had a backlog of, of, of projects. Many of them were, were international. We got some orders in the middle of it, too, that were international. So, you know, all of a sudden our team needs to figure out how to start up equipment in Europe and Southeast Asia at the same time when borders aren't necessarily open or you have to go in and out of quarantine zones to get into various countries. So, so what does that practically mean? I mean we could have people sitting in a hotel room for two weeks on either side before they're allowed to go into the plant or come back you can imagine the the impact that has when you've got a highly technical person who's capable of really impactful work hanging out in a quarantine hotel in southeast asia so what do you do you you send one individual out with a connected team to back them up that Mm -hmm. way you've got the combination of eyes and ears on the ground and and the contextualized data uh, to help them uh, uh, troubleshoot, problem solve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. So, what did it allow us to do? We were helping food factories spin up and get running across the globe through a pandemic. Um, and I just think that that's just tremendous. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I don't I don't know that you need a bigger example of of impact than that. Um, but at the same time, there you know a lot of these folks have multiple plants they can also see what's at, happening at their plants without traveling themselves and do that kind of stay close even at a distance thing so
1: <laughs> i love i love that that line keeps coming through it's a great tagline i think our whole audience will uh, remember that by the time this wraps and uh you know as we get to the more of the final throws of the interview i'm sure something that's on people's minds is your third initiative around that hybrid work model because you know we talk we were just talking about it in the last example like you still had boots on the ground even when you were doing a lot of work remotely having that team to back up that individual so how does a hybrid work model work in manufacturing something that's very much a physical industry right right well it,
0: it doesn't work in every job right so like i said welding you, you still have to be there to weld um and I, I mean will that change someday i don't know maybe but that's not really the subject of this. I'll call you for a third or fourth visit um,
1: when that (laughs) happens.
0: We can talk about that then, Um, you know, how does it work in practice? I mean, I I know not everybody's going to see me on video. In fact, most people won't see me on video. But for those that do um, uh, what you're looking at here, this used to be my office. And uh, Chris, you'll notice that there is a workstation behind me. Um, uh, We don't have offices anymore, including the CEO. Mm -hmm. Um, None of us do. Uh, My office is my backpack my backpack is on my back. It's wherever I am. Uh, so, you know, we, we reduced the number of spaces we had, uh, you know, locally, uh, so there wasn't as much office space. Every workstation is, um, designed with a, with an approximate configuration. Um, and when folks need higher power computing, we have a bank of, um, higher powered computers that are, are in a, you know, lined up in a closet that they can, um, they can remote into so you can still use the high power computer with a flexible, uh, you know, uh, workstation so you can move around. So not everybody has to carry around a high powered tower to do, you know, simulation work or high end modeling work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and it's pretty much as simple as um, some work is better asynchronously. Some mm-hmm. work is better collaboratively and mm-hmm. and you can pretty much break it down to uh, work that is repeatable, honestly speaking, it's better asynchronously, uh, you can you can go where you're comfortable, uh, you can sit down and you know, power through that work and get it done. Um, but work that is a complex, multivariate problem or an interdepartmental problem, um, you know, that requires collaboration. Uh, mm-hmm. And So you know, what you do is you identify when you have that kind of problem and and you come together. An example of how that's employed within our company is, uh, you know, we use Salesforce so they've got the chatter feature. Let's say you're working on a project and you're you hit a you hit a dead stop. You've got some kind of an interdepartmental technical problem. Maybe you need two engineers to come together, two different types of engineers to come together or two folks have uh, you know differing opinions about how the design could could need to be executed and these mm-hmm. things happen everywhere. Uh, We created the digital equivalent of the Toyota Undone cord. You can go in and and do a hashtag cord cord in the chatter and and tag an executive to say, hey, man, we're stuck. And the company policy is uh, one of the leaders has to respond to a hashtag cord within a fixed period of time, convene them and support the creative problem solving of it. Now you can set up a virtual meeting and try to solve it there. Uh, but if that doesn't work because you need more data or insight or you need more collaboration, then you maybe pull them back into the office. You say, okay, I need you guys to come in for a few hours. Let's meet this afternoon. Let's meet tomorrow. We'll game this out. Hey man, I'll get donuts on the way, um, you know, so we can, you know, keep our, keep our blood sugar up while we're solving that problem. Uh, you know, we do the same for um, collaborative pre-checks. Let's say we're designing something new and we want to get the the downstream department to look at it. We can do a Hashtag manufacturing check on a design and mm-hmm. say, hey, guys, we need you to look at this, uh, you know, before uh, the normal release process or design review. And I'm doing air quotes for the people that are listening but, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. but before that, uh, you know, before those processes so that you can use your technologies. It's using those technologies to create as a trigger to create the collaboration you need to solve the specific problem and understanding mm-hmm. that some work is best remote some work is inherently collaborative understand the difference um and i think that's a critical component to being successful in that front
1: i love that i love that what's been the quickest way you've learned what's better in person and what's better or what can be done remote how have you learned those lessons because i'm sure some things that you might guess could have gone one way have gone the other is that right in saying
0: uh, yeah well you know I so when the first when the lockdowns first began I would tell you it looked like our outputs were going up um mm-hmm. everywhere and, and at first we were thinking oh man remote work is just better um yeah. so we were kind of hyperbolizing you know mm-hmm. we were like oh it's mm-hmm. it's just better and then certain activities began to get slower while others got faster yeah. and then we thought oh so not all of it is better um uh, some of it does require a different type of collaboration, and we had we had Zoom meetings, we had Google Hangouts and WeChat, you know, rooms and all that kind of stuff was all there. Um, but sometimes the problems are are so complex they require the the nuance of communication. Um, you know, how did you how did we define them? Mm-hmm. Frankly speaking, we we started seeing what types of things got what what types of things tended to get stuck or needed yeah. to have that cord pulled on them. So you you know you track when the cords getting pulled and you say man there's a pattern here um, you know and and the you know the factors that predicate this occurring are x y and z so uh, let's restructure the work to be a little more predictive about what, what we need to do and when we need to be there and where we need to be and um, uh, and still have that flexibility so again you know no one's got an office uh, here mm-hmm. so. They are wherever they are, whenever yeah. they are, and as long as we're hitting the output, um, it's okay.
1: How how have you enjoyed not having an office? How have you personally enjoyed enjoyed the move? i I've got some some of my own thoughts on it or a story I'll share after this, but I <laughs> want to hear your thoughts.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, look, it was uh, odd for me uh, uh, too because I I mean I had my little kind of. You know, i my pictures of my kids on the wall and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and and I, I took it all down and they you know put it in a box at home and i thought oh, that's just this is strange um yeah. so how am i personally adapting to it i mean i think at first it felt a little weird but w- what, one of the things that i, I think i'm seeing overall and, and, it, and it applies to me too is you know you never know who's going to sit at that desk behind me and mm-hmm. and sometimes i'll go down mm-hmm. and, and, and sit in, in an area that i don't always sit um you yeah. know in, in a different region so you try not to I, I do camp at this desk a little more than I should, but um, sure. Uh, uh, but people, you know, are sitting next to each other, so I might be in a room one day and I'll see somebody from service sitting next to somebody from accounting, and then you know, a conversation strikes up. You you know, two years ago, they weren't talking. I mean, yeah, yeah. you have lunchroom conversations, and it's how hi, how are you, what did you do for vacation? But what was happening here is it would kind of swivel and say. You know, since you're here, I've always had this problem. But how how does that affect you? And they would say, Oh, yeah. you didn't you didn't know about this thing, or you didn't. And then, oh, no, I didn't know about that. And so I'm I'm walking along and watching like connections being made that wouldn't have been made, and I don't see how that could have anything but a positive outcome, because yeah. when when information is shared, uh, it's just a natural Course of um, that learning creates growth.
1: I love it. No, I uh, a- after the interview's done, I'm going to text you a picture of my new mobile office as well. Because one of my goals with the pandemic was I want to be able to work remotely as well. I've got yeah. a really nice home office back in Milwaukee now, but I mean I've got it down to a science. I've got a 20 inch external monitor that comes apart that fits in my carry oh, on the plane, cool. so. I can I can deck out a pretty good productive setup regardless of where I am in the world. So oh, you got me um, beat. I am not like that. I've got like a
0: speaker and a camera and all that. Sure. So I'm sure not, not I it. Mean,
1: yeah. it, it. It took a little tweaking, but yeah, I uh the the external monitor in the carry-on was was the finalizing on the cake. It's like because yeah. you know they've got like external monitors that are like, I don't know, 12, 15 inches, but they're not the same as having like a nice no. robust dual monitor. So anyway, that's, that's kind of related to it, but we're, we're in the final throes of the conversation. I knew we were going to get up against the wire with our discussion because we always have good conversations. (laughs) Um, but, uh, as, as you know, we've gone through your three initiatives before we wrap, is there anything you wish I would have asked you about these that, that, that hasn't come up yet? Oh man. Um,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've got anything I wish you would have asked me, um, about these, uh, no, I, I really do feel like I've been able to answer the questions. Is there something you wanted to ask which you haven't asked? <laughs> no, that I think, uh, there there Go there there, there,
1: pro- there probably is. Well, I I've got one. You know, one yeah. one other thing you mentioned to me. Is that, you know, you've been doing more article writing about what you're doing. You're doing a lot of thought leadership. And I feel like that's really a really this is different from everything else we're talking. But that's a really underutilized skill or opportunity that manufacturers have, I should say. Oh, where yeah. It's like, hey, if you talk about the things you're doing in industry magazines like that's exposure for your company right there. I just, I'm interested to hear maybe a little bit about what you've been doing there and how it's been working for you. Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely.
0: I guess you're you're talking about some of the articles I wrote for magazines like Mm the Food Technology Magazine. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Thanks for allowing me to toot my own horn um, (laughs) when I was unwilling to do so. Um, uh, Or I had forgotten that I had it. Uh, Yeah, I did did sit down and and write numerous articles for, uh, you know, to help industry understand ways that they can adapt to uh, social distancing and the manufacturing floor, how they can use technology or how they can use processes or collaboration procedures we actually did that in the first couple months of the Mm -hmm. pandemic i was writing those back in april may june of last year is when i was really really firing up on that you know i'll be honest with you i i mean i didn't do it directly because of the corporation but i did it because of our company purpose you know, yeah. you, you stated our purpose at the start, but our organization. I mean, yeah, we're, we're a for-profit business, and we we're a manufacturer, and that's what what we're here to do. But also, at the core of it is what we're passionate about is the food industry. We think it's it's amazing that we get the opportunity to feed people. We think it's just a, you know you know you forget how amazing it is that you can you can go down the street to a supermarket and you can take for granted that you can have you know anything you want almost. Um, and it's it's fresh and safe and nutritious and the amount of work that goes into that it's it's not small so I'm really proud to be a part of that industry and and what I wanted to make sure that we could do as an organization share whatever insights we have to you know benefit the industry as a whole um, and so uh, you know do I think it translates out into X units sold I, I honestly I don't know or care um, mm-hmm. uh, but do I think uh, you know A few hundred or a few thousand people read it and said, hey, maybe I could adopt a couple of those ideas and I can keep my employees safe or I can keep my customers safe. Uh, I mean, that's that's really all that matters, to be honest with you. Um, And at the end of the day, if we're part of that, there's plenty of business in the world for all
1: of us. Well, I know you're passionate about food making great food. That comes across in every conversation. It also reminded me of our last interview where I didn't know what bird's eye frozen food was. And I will have you know every time i go to the grocery store that stuff like pops out at me now i like can't miss it now i don't know how i was so unobservant by the way i got a lot of comments on that it's like chris how do you not know a bird's eye like that was like the number one tweet that came after that interview it's like how do you really? not know what bird's eye is everyone knows what it is so anyway that's that's a little bit of an aside to say i know you're very passionate about all the food that you make and what well, can i give you one more frozen. fact about
0: frozen food then, since we're on the frozen food All right. So please do. you you should know that it is very common that frozen foods actually have a higher nutrient density. There's more nutrients, more vitamins and things in the frozen food than there is in the fresh food. Not always, but usually because they're they're picked when they're fresh and they're frozen. And even though the processing process reduces some of the vitamins, they're picked at their peak. And some of the other things you get in the, in the store, especially if it's off season, they're not picked at their peak. So, uh, Sometimes I know a lot of people say stay around the outside of the aisle. I get it. Yeah.
1: There's some good stuff in the middle there too, guys. <laughs> yeah. So. No, you, 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 you've hyped up the food before. Just because it's frozen doesn't mean it's uh, lower quality. In fact, no. like you're saying, could be better. So yeah. I, I, uh, as someone that travels a lot, I always have frozen vegetables in the freezer. It just makes my life easier so I don't awesome. have things, uh, things going bad. So um, <laughs> as, we, as we finish this up, what's next for Blendtec? Final question. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we're going to stay the course
0: on what we're at, uh, you know, what we're focusing on these initiatives. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to be done per se. Uh, you know, so for, for us we're finding ways to scale that production. Uh, we're definitely seeing huge increases in demand. And, and we know that as we build out the system, we're going to be able to keep those lead times low uh, to try to, you know, deliver on that demand and and deploy as much of this technology as we can. Uh, again to benefit the or- the, the industry um, as well as our organization so uh, honestly it's it's stay the course for a little while uh because we did some some big changes and uh and it's time to make sure that they're done uh you know a- as well as they can be which is going to take some time
1: Awesome. Well, stay the course. You're always doing new and cool things there. It's always great catching up with you, Dan. For those listening, manufacturinghappyhour.com. You can catch every resource we mentioned in this episode. You can see how to connect with Blendtec and Dan. And with that, really appreciate you jumping on the show, Dan. You bet. Thanks. Cheers, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Dan for jumping on the show. Always great having conversations with him. I've I've mentioned it before, but he is one of the people in my career that I'm always learning something new from. So a pleasure to have him share some of his knowledge with you as well through this podcast. If you want to access any of the resources mentioned in this episode or learn more about Blendtec or check out that book, The Power of Habit, I highly recommend it as well. You can find all resources and links over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 59. That's the show notes page for this episode. Before we wrap, a couple other announcements. I want to let you know that if you want to be Part of conversations like this in a virtual setting, make sure to check out our industry community over on LinkedIn. It's a group of almost 500 manufacturing leaders that regularly have conversations around pressing topics like this in our industry. So make sure you head there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to our page. I also want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha is the resource for e-commerce solutions for the B2B world. So if you're a dealer, if you're a distributor, if you are an equipment manufacturer and you want to make it easy for your customers to order the right parts when they need them, Gen Alpha is a fantastic solution for you. Make sure to check out our interview with their COO, Christina Harrington, back in episode 34, and learn more about them by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Gen Alpha. With that, that's it for this week. More interviews coming right up. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. Catch you back here real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.